0: Now it is my pleasure to present to you No Spin Homilies. In any great literary work, regardless if it's a poem or a play or a speech, the opening line always sets the tone. It always sets the theme for that literary work. I'll give you some great examples. Now is the winter of our discontent. What's well, the opening line of Shakespeare's play of Richard the It sets the central theme of that play. or how about four score and seven years ago? our forefathers brought forth from this continent? It's the opening line of the Gettysburg address given by Abraham Lincoln. It set the whole tone of his speech at Gettysburg, or how about Once upon a midnight dreary, I pondered weak and weary. What's the opening line for Edgar Allan Poe's poem, The Raven? it sets the whole tone for that poem. And so, in dealing with great literary works, the opening line is always powerful. It grabs your attention. Now, the author does that very intentionally, you know, to put the opening line as powerful as possible so that everything the author wants to say about that literary work is now encased in that opening line. We'll turn to the gospel. Here we have the very beginning of Mark's gospel, and Mark follows that same literary genre. The very opening line of his gospel essentially is powerful and sets the tone for his entire gospel. But before we go into Mark's gospel, let's take a look at the author, Mark himself. His real name is John Mark. John is his Jewish name. Mark is his Roman name. His mother was Jewish, and his father was a Roman citizen. What else do we know about him? Well, Mark never was an eyewitness to Jesus Christ. He never met Jesus Christ, never saw him, or was witness to Jesus' public ministry. So then it begs the question, how could someone write about Jesus Christ, how could someone write a gospel with such intimate detail about Jesus Christ without ever meeting him? Well, it's because of Peter. Peter was the primary source of Mark's information. In fact, Peter and Mark were very close. Peter was the one that evangelized Mark and baptized him into the faith. If you look at 1 Peter chapter 15, verse 13, Peter refers to Mark as his spiritual son. From the moment of Mark's baptism. Mark never left Peter's side. Even when Peter traveled to evangelize in his missionary work, Mark was always there at his side. Also, remember, Peter was illiterate. He could not read or write, but Mark could. And therefore, Mark was his interpreter. In our day and age, we would say Mark was Peter's secretary. Mark wrote down everything that Peter told him about Jesus, about his birth, his life, his ministry, his miracles, his passion, death, and resurrection. And Mark feverishly wrote it all down. That's why we shouldn't be surprised that Mark's gospel was published a year or two after Peter's martyrdom. So it explains how Mark can write the gospel about Jesus Christ, a person whom he never met. Now notice the opening line of the gospel. It's powerful. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Well, like all great literary works, it has a powerful opening. It's vital. It sets the tone for the entire gospel. Now, let's break it apart. Remember, the Bible is originally written in Greek. Now, the Greek word that Mark uses for the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ is the word RK. Now, where else do we see that word used, RK, in the Bible? There's only one other place, and that is at the very beginning of the Bible, the story of creation in Genesis. In the beginning, God created heaven and earth. Well, that's where you see that word RK. Now, Mark was very intentional in using that word RK the beginning. Mark is telling us that his gospel story is now a new creation story. What we have to realize, the Jews believed that the story of creation was the most powerful story in all of the Old Testament. Essentially, God orders all of creation to himself. He creates everything, the world, the universe, even mankind itself. And so it was considered by the Jews as the most powerful story. It demonstrated God's authority over everything. And now Mark is, you could say, reaching back. And he's bringing that story ahead alongside of his gospel. And he's telling us Jesus is now ushering in a new creation, a new world order. Now he continues. He says the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Greek word here is Evangelion. It consists of two words, eva, which means good, and golion, which means message or news. And so, the gospel is the good news. Now, when we hear that word gospel, we immediately equate it to the Bible, the four evangelists, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But if you're living in the first century in the Roman Empire, when you hear that word gospel, evangelion, it's always synonymous with a Roman military victory. A Roman army, once it became victorious in battle, the generals would always send messengers ahead of the army to proclaim the Evangelion, to proclaim the gospel, the good news, to Caesar and others. And so, Mark is telling us that the Evangelion, the gospel, the good news, it's not about a military victory. It is about a victory, yes, of Jesus over the powers of this world, especially the powers of sin and death. And the victory is going to be powerful. It'll be change the world forever. More to it, that word, Evangelion, is also associated with Caesar, the emperor. Whenever you hear, if you are living in the first century, in the Roman Empire, if you hear that word gospel, immediately it has connotations of either a Roman army victory, or something about Caesar? Something about Caesar's life or a proclamation that he has made? Now, remember also, the Roman emperors defined themselves as divine figures, deities. It started with Julius Caesar. He was the first one to call himself a god, and subsequent emperors after that referred to themselves as deities or gods. And so, in the first century, if you heard that word gospel, it had something to do with the emperor. Now, Mark knows this. And he's, again, he's intentionally using this word, Evangelion, the gospel, to describe something that is not associated with the emperor and not associated with the military. Instead, it's associated with Jesus Christ. Again, if you hear this in the first century, this is a very provocative and very bold statement that Mark is telling us. That Caesar is not God. Instead, Jesus Christ is. There is a greater power in this world, greater than Caesar. If you lived in that first century, you believed Caesar was the most powerful person in the entire world. But Mark is saying no. Instead, it's Jesus. Jesus is the most powerful, and he is God. And so, Mark, from the very beginning of his gospel, is making a bold and very provocative statement. Again, if you are listening to this in the first century, you are amazed at what you are hearing and what you are reading. Now, Mark has your full attention. Now, you want to know more about Jesus Christ and how he now is challenging Caesar. Notice next the title that Mark gives Jesus. He calls him the son of God. Again, that's the title of the emperor. That's the title of Caesar. And so Mark is telling us, the gospel is telling us the truth about God. It is Jesus Christ. And Jesus is not some worldly power like Caesar. Instead, he is a divine power. Now appreciate this statement for what it is. In the 21st century now, we know that Jesus is Lord, that he is our God. Because we have 2,000 years of theology in our church and come to that understanding. But in the first century, this would be an incredibly astonishing and bold statement to make. And yet, this is why our church was persecuted for the first 300 years of its life. The Romans did not take this message from Mark lightly. The Romans saw how deeply threatening Mark's message was. And therefore, they wanted to destroy it. They knew that Jesus Christ in this new church would be an incredibly powerful threat to the Roman way and the Roman order of this world. But nonetheless, Mark is telling us from the very beginning, the gospel, who Jesus is, and what his mission is all about. His mission is very simple. It's about bringing us home bringing us home to a right relationship with God, the relationship that Adam and Eve had before the fall of grace. As it says in Genesis, you know, God walked with Adam and Eve in easy fellowship in the cool evening of the garden. That's exactly what God wants. And that's Jesus' mission, to restore that fellowship and that friendship with God. And that's exactly what John is preaching If you go to the gospel for this weekend's gospel, John preaches just that. And the people need to do something. Notice what they're doing. They went out to meet John and said they were baptized by John in the Jordan River and they acknowledged their sinfulness. Well, we have to do the same thing. As I mentioned last week, there's a penitential characteristic about Advent. Well, what we have to recognize is is that sin prevents us from a right relationship with God. What must we do? Allow Jesus to enter into our life and bring us home. Bring us home to a right relationship with God. That's why penance, confession, is so important. That's why we sing that song, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. We realize that sin holds us captive. It holds us hostage. What's the ransom that must be paid? Jesus Christ, his life, death, and resurrection. And it is the sacrament of reconciliation, confession, that always liberates us from our sin. That's why we must follow the example of the people in the gospel as they acknowledge their sinfulness as they were baptized by John. And in doing so, now they were properly prepared, properly predisposed to welcome Christ into this world and into their lives. Well, so too must we. We must exercise the sacrament of reconciliation and go to confession, just like the people in the gospel. And in doing so, allow Jesus to not only forgive our sins, but to welcome us home. Welcome us to a right relationship with God. Then we will be ready to not only appreciate, but to fathom and receive all the blessings and all the graces of Christmas in celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ. And may the grace and the peace of Jesus Christ rest upon you always.